in Jesus' name. Amen. I know we've been in chapter 3 of the Gospel of Mark, and we have not quite finished there, but uh, I've been wrestling with the what sermon approach to take all week long. And what I've hit on is this. Mark is going to sum up everything that he's saying in chapter 4, uh, back, going, uh, reflecting back on chapter 3. And so I'm going to take the part in chapter 4 where he sums everything up, and then we're going to go back and talk about the, the, the specifics of chapter 3 so that you have understanding of them in light of what he says in chapter 4. That probably doesn't make any sense to you, uh, but you'll see as we go along, okay? So we're going to start in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And again, he, referring to Jesus, began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him. There was always a multitude that gathered around him everywhere he went. So that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Now, I should have brought you a picture. I apologize for that. It would really make an impact on you. In fact, I told Robin just, uh, I think this morning, that I'm going to need her help over the next week. Make sure you're here the next two weeks, okay? The Sunday before Easter and then Easter Sunday. I'm going to be showing you some pictures uh, from our trip to Israel that tie in to the story that I think will be helpful to you. So make sure you're here. If you don't like the message, you'll at least like the pictures, okay? So come and make sure that you're here for those messages. Now, as you go to the Sea of Galilee, this, this makes perfect sense because Jesus was in a boat just out a little bit uh, from the shoreline on the Sea of Galilee and the land on, on uh, the Sea of Galilee, it slopes upward from the water. So it was a perfect amphitheater. Now, in other words, it was a natural amplifier from the water that as Jesus is out speaking on the water, the land sloping upward and all the people gathered there listening. It almost seems like God knew what He was doing when He spoke the earth into being, how to provide Jesus with the right amphitheater in which to speak. Amen. You didn't get that one. All right. So even when God designed the world, He had the events of the life of Jesus and His teaching in mind. So uh, Jesus is there and He's teaching. Now the crowds are there for various reasons. Did you realize that not everybody hears the same sermon? You have one speaker who's speaking... But it is amazing how many different versions of what is said is heard. And that's what Mark is dealing with in chapter 3 and chapter 4. He's talking about the various ways that people hear the teaching of Jesus and the different ways they respond to the teaching of Jesus. So here Jesus is speaking to a multitude but they're all hearing with different ears. They're all hearing with different hearts. Now, I'm very mindful of the fact that even as I'm standing in this pulpit this morning and I'm preaching one message, hopefully it's going to be one message, as I'm preaching one message, a lot of different people are going to hear different messages, different sermons. 
based on the condition of your heart. Did you know that everyone in this room has a heart condition? But the conditions could be very different one from the other, which is what leads you to hear what's going to be said a particular way. So, he taught them many things by parables. Parables. And he said to them in his teaching, and then he gives this parable. Now, Jesus taught in parables. What are parables? That is a good question. Why did Jesus teach in parables? That's another good question. Now, one thing you need to understand is a parable was not an illustration. It was not an illustration. Now, a lot of preachers think they have to use illustrations as a sermon because they say, after all, Jesus taught in parables, and that was an illustration. They're just wrong. Parables were not illustrations. Parables were not even given in order to help it make it easier for people to understand. In fact, you're going to discover, not this week, but come back, uh, you will discover that Jesus taught in parables to veil the message not to reveal the message, which is an interesting thing. We'll talk about that hopefully next time. He taught them in parables and said to them in his teaching. Now he's going to give the, this first parable that Mark gives to us. Now it's interesting, in the New Testament, Jesus is the only teacher that taught in parables. Paul didn't use parables. Peter didn't use parables. None of the other New Testament teachers taught in parables. Some of the Old Testament prophets used parables, and Jesus used parables, but He was the only one in the New Testament. And He said, listen, or your translation of the Bible might say, behold. And whenever we see the word behold in Scripture, we know that means stop, look, listen, this is important. Okay, it's like coming to the railroad crossing. Pay attention. So Jesus wants us to pay attention. And he says, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Now, the emphasis here in the beginning of this parable is on the sower. Now, most of you or many of you uh, uh, might have been farmers. Farmer, I forgot, some of you from up north. All of us from the south, <laughs> we, we were farmers, we were gardeners, we, we, we worked the land. And so we understand about sowing seed. And Jesus here is the primary sower of the seed. In the context of chapter 3, He is saying, I'm going to go sow seed, I, what he's going to sow is the message of the Word. He's going to be sharing the message of the Gospel. He's going to be talking about the things of the kingdom. But he says, not everybody is going to hear what I have to say about it. So he says, the sower goes out to sow. Now, Jesus was the initial sower in this parable. But I want you to understand, all of us who have been saved by grace through faith, who've responded to the message of the gospel, which is the seed that someone has sown into our lives, we are now called to be a sower. 
whenever Jesus called the disciples in Mark chapter 3. You recall for Peter, James, John, and Andrew, he said, follow me and I will make you to become what? Fishers of men. Now he's putting that a different way here. He's moving from the fishing to the gardening. And he's saying a sower went out to sow and he's letting them know he's calling them all to be sowers of the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, a sower isn't a sower unless he's sowing. Make sense? Pretty basic. A sower is not really a sower unless he's sowing. If he's not sowing, he's just walking around with a bag of seed. I don't know why you want to do that, but that's what some people seem to do. We want to walk around with our Bibles. We want to walk around with the, the, the good news of the gospel within us. We want to carry it around. We just don't want to sow it anywhere. I want you to know we as Christians, our primary task and calling is to glorify God by sharing the good news of how to be connected with Him and be transformed with Him with those that we encounter on a daily basis. We are all called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now the way the sower does it is he broadcasts seed. Now there's a difference in, in planting. There's sometimes you, you, you have the little furrow there that you built up, and, and, and you got the little hump of dirt that's there, and then you open it up in a little space, and you drop the seed down in that little hole that you made, and then you cover it over, right? And then there are times you broadcast seed. What broadcasting seed is, you reach your hand down into your bag of seed, and you just scatter it. You just scatter it. Now, as you're scattering that seed, it's going to fall in different places. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you been scattering seed? Have you been sharing the gospel with all the folks that you come into contact with? You see, some people are going to respond in repentance and surrender and faith whenever you sow those seeds. Some people aren't. And then we have you know, our, our, our Calvinistic friends and, and say God's you know, chosen those who will be saved. Well, the thing about that is, I don't really have a problem about that. The problem is, you don't know who's chosen and who's not. That's up to him to, to figure that one out. Your responsibility is just go out and sow, and you don't have to worry, friend, about leading someone to faith in Christ whom God hasn't elected. They've responded, they're elected, okay? Uh, your responsibility is to go, hey, it was a great, great weight off of my shoulders as a, a young preacher whenever I finally began to understand I'm not responsible for how you respond. My responsibility is just to sow the seed, to share the gospel. What happens with it from that standpoint is between you and God, the Holy Spirit of God and what He's at work doing in your life. But I want you to understand once you understand, even if you hold to the fact that God has elected those who will be saved, it doesn't remove you of your responsibility of sowing the seed. And it doesn't remove you of the responsibility that if you hear the message of the gospel, that you've got to respond in 
Faith. Repentance. Surrender. Uh, remembering that's all the working of God, and I'm thankful for that. All right, now, so the sower went out to sow seed. And, as, uh, and it happened that as he sowed, that some of the seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Now, what in the world, Jesus, does that mean? I'm glad you asked, because the disciples had the same question. A little later, they come to him and say, Lord, tell us about this parable thing, and the sower, and the seeds, and the birds. We don't get it, Lord, to help us to understand. And so if you look down in verse 13, he begins explaining what he's just said. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Are you having trouble with this one? Wait till you hear some others I got. There's some a whole lot tougher than, than this one. And he says, the sower sows what? The Word. The Word of God. Let me ask you on a daily basis. How much of the Word of God do you talk about with the folks around you? I was just really blessed yesterday. Yesterday... I had to go buy a $300 tire, and that was not a good thing. But while they were working on my getting my, my new tire, I walked over to the Eggs Up Grill to get some breakfast. Okay? Now, when I went over to the Eggs Up Grill to get my breakfast, I walked in, and it was crowded because there was uh, some kind of race going on yesterday, so a lot of the other people were there you know, in the Eggs Up Grill. So I, I got there, and I ordered my blueberry pancakes. And... and when I, when I was sitting there eating my blueberry pancakes, I kept noticing the man and the guy next to me. There was an older man and there was a younger man uh, that were sitting at the table next to me, and I could just tell that they were talking about the Lord. And then the older man pulled out some notes, and apparently what was happening is the older man was discipling the younger man. And apparently he'd given him a passage of Scripture to study the week prior to that. And now they've gotten together to talk about the Word of God. Isn't that great? I was excited in a public restaurant. Two men sitting there discussing the Word of God together. And, and so I just, you know, I, I, I sat there and I was just soaking it in. They were talking about David. And, this, that, and, this. and I said, I got I to gotta give them some encouragement. So I got up, went over the table. I, when it was time for me to pay, you know, pay my check. And I walked over the table. And, and I, I just said, guys, I said, I don't want to interrupt you. I said, my name is uh, Tim Cook, and I'm Pastor Washington Saul Baptist Church. And, and the older man said, Tim! And I said, yeah. He said, Tim, it's so good to see you. And I said, well, good. It's good to see you. And, 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 and he says, you know, uh, I, I guess you didn't recognize me. And I said, I, I really don't. And he said, yeah, you've changed a lot too. And I said, yeah, I have and I was wondering, who was this guy? And, and uh, he said, I'm just here with my, my grandson. And he says, um, uh, he's getting ready to get married. And so I'm just kind of helping to him to get ready for that. I said, great. And I said, and you are? And he said, I'm Bobby Venters. And I said, Bobby, it is so good to see you. And I said, so your grandson? He said, this is Hoyt's son. I said, Hoyt. I, said I, told, uh, I told him, his name is Caleb. I said, Caleb, man, I just love you, Dad. Now, who this was is back in my first church that I pastored. There was a, a lady and her sons that used to come to church. Her name was June. And she had her two sons, Hoyt and Casey, that would come to church. And really sweet, good, godly Christian uh, lady. And, and from time to time, during the invitation, June would come down in tears. 
And she, she said, would you please pray for my husband that he might get saved? And so we'd pray. And we'd pray. And her husband would come from time to time. He'd come to the church. And we went to a men's meeting, the Scriven Baptist Association men's meeting. And that night, they showed a movie about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, kind of portrayed the second coming. And that did it for Bobby. And Bob, I still remember, I went down that night and, Ah, man, he was saved by God's grace that night. And boy, did his life transform. We'd prayed for a long time, and Bobby got saved that, that, that night. And there he was, 32 years later, sitting with his grandson, sharing the Word of God together. Amen. Amen. That's good. Man, that lights my fire. That's That's good. You know, you just go out and you sow the seed. Now, Bobby was one of those hard cases initially. But you don't give up. You just keep praying. You keep sharing. You never know what God's going to do, right? So I just said, hey, you go out and sow seed. You just never know what And here it was. Hopefully our ministry had a little part. But, but, but in the midst of all that, here, Bobby's sons were saved. And now his grandson is saved getting ready to start his own family, and just it keeps continuing generation after generation. Just from someone going, planting some seed. Well, so we went out to sow. Some fall on the hard ground. Some fall on the wayside. The wayside is, if you walk through a garden, if you walk on the edge of the garden, you'll notice the ground is compacted because that's where everybody walks. Okay? If you go down in between the furrows, the ground is hard because when you're walking through the garden to have to do some things, you know, do the weeding, whatever, you don't step on the hill, you step in the little furrow there, and it gets hard. Well, some of the seed that the sower was broadcasting fell by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they hear, so some so good seed, sower's doing his job. But Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Well, this is a hard-hearted person. He's not just got hardening of the arteries, he's got a hard heart. This is the person that's already made up their mind. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. They don't want anything to do with the gospel. They don't want anything to do with God. Now, sometimes they'll even show up in church. But they're sitting here, and their heart is hard and fast against the Word. I don't want to hear it. Now, there wouldn't be anybody like that at Wasmus, all I know. But in every other church that I pastored, there have been people, men and women, that came to every service. But as they came to every service, they weren't there because they wanted to learn anything. They weren't there to hear the Word of God they were there primarily to find out something they can criticize me about. Every sermon they lived just to hear Pastor Jim say something wrong so they can call him on it. And they let me know that. And they took great delight anytime I happened to say anything that wasn't quite, well, you know, just the way it was. Uh, you know, at least in their mind, it wasn't the way it was supposed to be. And boy, would they come after me afterwards. Okay? And they'd make sure on the way out the door, usually this is the way it worked, usually on the way out the door, they would speak loudly as they were shaking my hand. Oh, Brother Tim, whenever you said so-and-so, 
And they clearly want everybody else to hear that Meredith Tim hasn't said something right. Well, that's not a good thing to do. They were there, and they were hearing the message, but they had an ulterior motive in mind behind what they were listening to. They weren't there for an encounter with God. They were there to stir up some problems. Now, that's one case. And then there are some cases where I've discovered people have been hearing messages other places. For instance, they've been listening to stuff online, or they've been talking to their friends, and they've heard something there that they like about the Bible. The only problem is, it's not true. It's just not accurate. For instance, this morning... I usually listen, I try to listen to one or two sermons before I come to church on Sunday to kind of prime the pump. And so this morning I was listening to Charles Stanley a little bit, and after I listened to Charles Stanley, his son was on after him, Andy. And so I said, well, let me, I hadn't listened to Andy in a while, let me listen to Andy. And as I was listening to Andy, this is his whole message, this was the whole message, okay? He's going to start a little series going through the Gospel of Luke, and he gave all the reasons for why no one should believe what the Bible says. Now, this is Charles Stanley's son. He was saying these are all the reasons, because stuff that was written in Luke's Gospel was actually written 300 years ago, and uh, someone went around, compiled a bunch of stories that people had made up, this, that, and the other stuff, and put them all together, and then 300 years later, some folks got together and decided, well, we think this is, should be in the Bible, so they included it, and and that's why it's in the Bible. But you should not ever believe anything because it comes out of the Bible. And it says, we do not base our faith or put our trust in what the Bible says. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with this picture? And, yeah, a bunch. And then he says, we are who we are, we believe what we believe, and we do what we do because of one thing. Not words on a page, but because of an event that actually happened, and the event that actually happened was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we don't go around talking about a book and quoting a book. We go out and tell people about the resurrection. That's what we do. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, Andy, I know you went to seminary, and everything you just said was very popular back at the end of the 1800s, and everything you just said has been disproved decades and decades and decades ago. So everything you're saying has been proven to be wrong. And the Word of God is true. And then I thought, number two, if you say what's important is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not the Bible, question, what, how do you know anything about the resurrection unless you get it from the Bible? Amen. That doesn't make any sense to me. Now, the problem with that is, over the last two months, I've been sitting down having a discussion with someone from another church here in the Charleston area who's trying to get us to uh, use a, a discipleship training course uh, here in our church for our men because that's what they use in their church, and it's one of the largest churches in the Charleston area. And, and, and guess who it's primarily by? Andy Stanley. And I'm thinking... Now I understand why that church is so messed up. <laughs> you know? uh, and yet people fly there. There's, there's, there's over 1,500 people every Sunday at that church. And this is what they're hearing? 
No wonder the Word of God says in the last days there's going to be a falling away. And they, the Bible says in the last days they will give heed to seducing spirits, evil spirits, who are teaching lies. Boy, is that happening in our day and time. Well, there are people that have heard something somewhere else and they say, oh, that sounds good to me. I like that. I think I'll accept that. That's what the truth is. And then they come here and they actually hear the message of the Gospel and then, nope. Falls on dead fears. It doesn't square with what I've already heard and what I've already said I'm going to believe. And so I'm not going to listen. This isn't true. And so they sit and they actually hear the truth. But I already think they know truth that is a lie and so it's a hard heart. And it doesn't penetrate. So Satan comes right along and takes the truth that they heard and reminds them of what they thought they knew and snatches it away. And that is a perfect picture of what was happening with the Pharisees. Remember the ongoing battle between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees? They thought they knew the way it was supposed to be. So when Jesus comes and starts sharing the truth, they thought this doesn't square with what we've already accepted to be the truth, so we don't want any part of it, and we're going to do our best to stamp it out. And what they're only doing is they're being used by Satan to try to keep others from hearing truth. Well, Jesus says, in the context of His setting, there were always, everywhere Jesus taught, there were always scribes and Pharisees in the audience. So in the course of the parable, he says, oh, well, we're going to broadcast the seed, but there are going to be some, some of that seed's going to fall on hard hearts that are not going to want to hear it. Satan's going to come along, he's going to snatch it so that the seed cannot take root. And there are people, because of circumstances and situations that they've walked through in life, and they've been through heartache and pain and sorrow, and their heart has become hard because they're bitter against God. Because God, why did you let this happen in my life? God, you could have kept this from happening. God, I even asked you to help me, and you didn't help me. And God, I... And their heart is so hard because of what they've walked through in life that even though they hear truth, it falls on deaf ears and a hard heart because of the emotion of anger and bitterness that's in their hearts. So Jesus is saying, you're going to go out and sow seed, but you always need to remember there are going to be people that's there because of what they've walked through, because of preconceived ideas, because they think they already know everything there is to know about this. They will hear, but not listen. They will not comprehend. And the gospel seed is taken away. Jesus described, or not Jesus, Paul described this kind of person, which was the problem with humanity from the beginning in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The seed is sown, the seed is broadcast, 
they hear it, they don't want to believe it, so they suppress the truth. They don't want to listen. They don't want to obey. They want to continue their own way. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For, that's the, it's not that they don't know. They don't want to accept. They don't want to believe. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became, this is it, futile, empty in their thoughts. They're empty-headed, hard-hearted and empty-headed. And the problem is, they think they know everything. They think they are so intelligent, they think they are so smart that they figured it out. The one with a hard heart is usually one of your most intelligent people, intellectually. But what they think them, they, they know has kept them from receiving truth. They became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and the birds and the four-footed animals and creeping things. In other words, there's down in them a desire to worship. God put that in every person that's been created. You have an innate desire to worship. Every culture has had a system of religion, a system of worship throughout all time. That's God designed. But rather than worshiping the true God, they wanted to worship what they wanted to worship. So they created things to worship. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness. God gave them over. That's God's wrath. Now listen. God just does not have to inflict you with terrible, hard world diseases and pain and suffering to pour out His wrath on you. You know the biggest way that God can demonstrate His wrath toward you? Step away from you and just let you go your own way and deal with the consequences of your own sin and your own hard-heartedness. One of the worst things God could do, you see, if it wasn't for God's grace intervening in our life, stopping us in our tracks and bringing us to Him, we would have all continued to run off the cliff into sin and eternity and death in hell forever. That's where we would have all ended up. One of the worst ways God can bring judgment upon a nation or upon a people is just to withdraw and let you go on into your sin in all of its fullness. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts Oh, see, the big issue was they were lusting after things. They were lusting after self and selfish desires. And it ended up demonstrating itself in how they, how they lusted sexually. You see, God designed man and woman from the beginning to create families 
and through the families to demonstrate the greatness and glory of who He is through the family relationship and the family structure. He gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even the women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. In other words, the way God designed our bodies, there's the way He designed it says there are certain things that should go together and certain things shouldn't. I'll leave it at that, okay? There are certain things that should be done a certain way. They're designed to do that. For even their women exchange the natural use of what is against nature. And they said, but we're not doing it that way. We're going to do it the way I want to do it. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God, again, suppressing the truth of God, uh, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Hard-hearted. I don't want to believe. I don't want to do it this way. God gave them over to a debased mind. He said, okay, you want to think that way? You want to continue that way? You want to keep going your way instead of my way? Go for it. And he took his restraining hands of grace away and just let them continue in their sin. Receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to the base mind to do those things. Now notice the word here, I think it's interesting, is not fitting. There are things that should fit a certain way, and things that shouldn't. They did what is not fitting. Listen, friend, I want you to hear me. And I'm praying God in grace will open your heart and mind to be able to hear. That He will break through even the hardness of a hard heart. Listen. If you sit under the teaching of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and you actually hear the message of the Gospel, and you sit time after time, whether it's a friend that's sharing with you at work, whether it's a family member, godly mom or grandmother who's been trying to share with you, if you come to a church where the gospel is actually presented as it is in the Word of God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and you, and you sit and you hear the gospel week after week after week after week, and you continue to suppress the truth and unrighteousness and fail to respond, your heart becomes calloused. Your heart becomes hard. And there comes a point when the Word of God says, the Lord says, okay, that's the way you want it? Go for it. And He just hands you over. Hands you over to yourself. Hands you over to your sin. And just lets you continue. 
So the Word of God says, today, if you hear His voice, harden not your heart, but receive. Everybody always thinks they got more time. Got more time. Uh, yeah, I need to do something about this, just not now. You're playing a dangerous game. Because you don't come to God when you think you want to. You come to God when He's calling. Or you don't come. No man comes to Christ unless the Father draws him. So if you hear His voice, you hear His drawing, respond. Respond. Alright. So some of that seed, boy, falls on the, the hard ground. But then there's some others. Verse 5. Some fell on the stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root. That's the problem. No root. And it withered away. Now, if you ever get to go to Israel, the thing that is, one of the things that astounded me is, it is the most rocky place I've ever been in my life. Everywhere you go is rocks. And I'm not just talking about these little rocks. I'm talking about rocks. I'm talking about rocks everywhere. I mean, the ground is covered everywhere with rocks. I mean, everywhere with rocks. And when a farmer wanted to, to, to plant some ground, the first thing he had to do was go out there and get rid of all... That was a job! You get rid of all of those rocks because you had to get it down in some, some good soil. Well, what is Jesus, how does Jesus explain this one? Verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the Word, immediately receive it with gladness. They have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time... Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the, the Word's sake, immediately they stumble. In other words, sometimes people at work want to talk to you because they got some problems. They got marriage troubles. They got financial troubles. They got a child on drugs. They got problems. And so they'll talk with you. And now you see that as an open door to broadcast some seed. And so you share the gospel. And they respond. They say, man, great, they got saved. And they do good for a couple months, three months, four months. And then you ask them, hey, how's your church? You know, you, where are you going to church? Oh, I don't go to church. Why? And you got some reason, excuse. Man, what happened there? Sometimes you'll see people at a church service, they'll walk an aisle because they got problems. And they won't help with their problems. And so they're thinking, maybe if I come and I do what they say and I pray this prayer, God will help me fix my problems. And what they want Jesus to do for them is what the crowd, remember, now we dealt with the Pharisees with the hard hearts. The crowds that follow Jesus wanted the healings. They wanted Him to help them with their problems. And so they showed up, and they followed Him to get help for my problems. But they were not concerned about their biggest problem, their sin. 
their sin against the Holy God. They just wanted help with their problems. And people will walk an aisle because they come to church because they got problems. Maybe God can help me with my problems. And so the preacher says, you need to come up. You need to pray this prayer. As they come up, they pray the prayer. They get baptized. And they're there for a while. And when their problem gets fixed, they're gone. Or if their problem persists and they see that what they did here isn't going to help fix the problem, they're gone. The problem isn't they got saved and discouraged and quit. The problem is they never got saved because they never really wanted or were interested in dealing with their sin. There was no godly sorrow that led to repentance, that led to faith in Christ, that led to surrender and acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord. See, not everybody that walks an aisle gets saved. Not everybody who repeats eats a prayer after you get saved. The thing is, you can't tell what's going on in the heart. Every church I've ever been to, every revival service I've ever preached in any church I've ever gone to, I've had people who thought they were Christians for years get saved. Because when they think back to what they thought was their salvation experience, it wasn't genuine godly sorrow and repentance and faith and surrender. It's, I needed help. Or this is what I was told I was supposed to do. That's the ones that fell, fall on the stony ground because there was no root. One thing I've learned about seeds is when you put a seed down in the earth, the initial germination process starts with the roots going down before anything comes out. Upward. There was no root in these. They were not rooted in the gospel. Sprang up, looked like something, but eventually it died out. Mark 7, Mark 4 7. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out, and it yielded no crop. Down in verse 18, he explains it. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. That's the key. Unfruitful. These are the ones that as you're broadcasting seed, they hear the gospel and they respond to it for whatever reason. Maybe they had a problem. Maybe they needed help. Maybe they got caught up in the emotion. Yeah, it was just an emotional sermon, emotional invitation. There were emotional songs and this kind of stuff. And they got emotional and they came and they had a crying good time and they prayed whatever prayer they were told to pray. But for whatever reason, they heard they made some kind of response and they were faithful for a while. They lived the way they were supposed to live best they could for a while. They came to church for a while. They maybe even took some positions in the church for a while. Maybe they even went on a mission trip. Maybe they did some things for a while. But then, but then, 
they got caught up in the stuff of life. Because there's a lot of stuff in life that happens. Now they got problems and things going on in their families, and they get distracted. They have issues come up and they're hurting. I mean, they're really hurting. So they're kind of wallowing in their pain. I'm thinking about going to church. I can't, go to church. I can't even think when I'm at church. I don't want to be around people. And it's, it's, it's the issues I'm dealing with in my life. Sometimes they get caught up in the pleasures of the world. There's other stuff to do on a Sunday than going and sitting to a man talk for an hour. I used to say 30 minutes, but that changed. <laughs> yeah, I got other stuff I can be doing. I mean, you got golf. You got the lake. You got the mountains. Hey, we are richly blessed here in South Carolina. We got a lot of stuff we can do out there, right? Go tour the gardens. Go downtown. Go for a walk. There's a lot of stuff we can do. We got well, last week I talked about going to the kids' sporting events and all those kind of things. They just get caught up in doing other stuff that they enjoy. And now they kind of don't have time for reading the Bible, time for prayer, going out witnessing, and coming to church. I mean, let's face it, folks, we ask you to come not once, not twice, but three times a week. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. For an hour or more at, at a time. In Sunday school. And Awanas. And I got. Well, Tim, do you realize how busy I am? Got stuff going on. We got a lot of things in my life. And Jesus said, the seeds planted among the thorns, the weeds. And after a while, it becomes more about the weeds than the seed. And they're gone. They're gone. It's not that they were saved and had received the good seed and responded the way that saving grace and saving faith does. They made some response, but it wasn't genuine salvation. And over time, it demonstrates that it wasn't genuine salvation because the stuff of life choked out the seed. You see, for a Christian, we face the same stuff in life. We do. But God uses those other things to deepen us and strengthen us, not to destroy us. He works in them to grow us in the midst of the stuff. And it says... It choked them so they became unfruitful. Uh, in our Wednesday studies, hopefully you've been a part of those, we spent a lot of time talking about two things. Number one, well, on Sunday nights, we, we spent time talking about when we were talking about once saved or you always saved, that every born-again believer in Jesus Christ, every person genuinely saved, will persevere in their faith because Christ will cause them to persevere. In other words, you'll always stay by the stuff. You won't fall away. And number two, every born-again believer in Jesus Christ will be fruitful. You will be fruitful. If there's no fruit, you're not saved. 
And he says, every, every branch that tries to come and attach itself to me, but it's not genuine salvation, and it's not fruitful, he'll take it away. And it's burned. In other words, you lost. There's no such thing as, a, as an unfruitful Christian. That, that is an impossibility. Did you hear me? Understand what I'm saying? It is an impossibility to be a Christian and not fruitful. Because the Holy Spirit is going to produce the fruit in every Christian. Fruit of reproduction, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of obedience, all those fruits that we talked about. Okay? It's unfruitful. I've had in, in churches where I've pastored, and in fact, in every church I've pastored, we've had people that look like the real deal. I mean, they've been in the church for a few years, got saved, doing all kind of good stuff. We even ordained some men as deacons. I mean, you got to have a pretty high standard of what the Bible says the qualifications of a deacon are supposed to be. We even ordained them as deacons. They're not in church anymore. They're doing all kinds of things in life that have nothing to do with God. In fact, they're very ungodly. Because it's easy to fake it for a while. Easy to fake it for a while. But here's the thing. You can't fake fruitfulness. You can fake everything else but that. And eventually it shows up. Now, while we're there, let me close out the sermon and give you the last one. Alright? Um, by the way, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So if you get caught up in the stuff of life and you love it more than you love Him and His serving, you don't know Him, is what He says. Verse 8, And other seed fell on the good ground, and it yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced. Notice how it produced. Some thirtyfold, sixty, and some a hundred. And He said, He who has an ear, let him hear. Now, notice verse 20, He explains it. But these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the Word. Notice he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who hears the Word, hears with your spiritual ears. Hears the Word and accepts it. Internalizes it. Receives it. And bear fruit. So every seed that falls on the good soil that produces salvation produces fruit. You doing okay? Yeah, but listen to this. Notice how much fruit. Some, it starts. This is the foundation. This is the baseline. Some 30-fold. Some 60 some a hundred. But notice the baseline is 30. Question, how many people has God used you to lead to faith in Him?
How many people do you know are going to be in heaven because God in grace used you to sow the seed in their heart they were saved? You see, being fruitful here, even here, now Jesus is the one who's saying, I'm not making this up. It starts at 30. 60. A hundredfold. The vast majority of people never won in their life. Never won in their life. And yet they say they're a Christian. Can't be, beloved. It just can't be. Jesus says it. Not me. He said it. Out of his own lips. Here's the other deal. If you're faithful in witnessing, don't get discouraged if you don't see a host of the people you're witnessing to responding in repentance and faith and surrender. Did you notice out of the four categories, three out of the four say no. Or they say yes, but then prove to have been no. Three out of four. Three out of four. That means as you go out, if you get a 25% success rate of people responding, you're doing good. But remember, the success is not yours. It's His. No one's saved because of you. They're saved because of Christ. But no one will be saved apart from hearing the gospel. That's our part. Your part and my part is to be sowers of the seed. What happens from that point on is up to Him. It's up to Him. Whatever He does. I had a person in my last church that was a missionary to... Yemen, Pakistan, India, and Sri Lanka. And Richard and April from our church, we sent, you know, sent them out, went with the International Mission Board and to deal with Muslims. You know? In Muslim world. And they were all the time sowing seed. But went for a few years without any response. They came back on furlough. I said, Richard, that has got to be discouraging. He said, no. No, it's not discouraging. The Lord called me to go sow the seed. I'm being faithful to what the Lord's called me to do. He gives me my rewards not based on the response of the people, but to my faithfulness to Him to sow. That's good. Week after week, a preacher would get up, preach the gospel. No outward response. Is that discouraging? <laughs> yeah. God's called me to sow the seed. What He does with it is up to Him. I just got to make sure I sow the good seed. Make sure I give you an accurate understanding of the gospel.
than He's going to do with it in your heart and life, but He will. Invitation is twofold. Invitation goes like this. Number one, if you've heard the message of the Gospel and never responded in gen with a genuine godly sorrow that He's given you over your sin, this led you to repentance, turning away from sin, turning in faith to Jesus Christ, that whenever He died and paid the price for sin, He did it for you. Your sin. He bore the wrath you should have borne. Paid the debt you owe to Holy God. Shed His sinless blood on your behalf. Was buried. Resurrected. Is alive now. So that you surrender everything you are to all that He is. Acknowledge He is indeed the Lord of your life and will always be. If you haven't been born again of His Spirit, Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Respond. Choose today who you're going to serve. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I know it didn't come as any shock to you. Most of the folks out there are lost. Most of the people out there are lost. And unless someone shares the Gospel, they'll always be lost. They can't believe unless they hear what the Word of God says. Our responsibility is to go and share. Here's the sad thing for most churches. Most churches are about come and hear. We want them to come from out there and here to hear the Word. The churches are centered now on come and hear. We do elaborate things to get them to come so they can hear. We have big events so they can come and hear. We make them feel comfortable and put on big elaborate shows instead of real worship so they can come and hear. Jesus never said to do that. He never said to do that. The one thing He consistently said is, go and tell. Go and tell. The fields, they are white unto harvest. Let's pray the Lord to send forth labor in the field. And when we pray that prayer and ask Him to send the labors, then we respond by saying, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me. Would you make that commitment?